Our scripture reading today is from Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 23. After this reading, the podcast will pick up about one minute into Sunday's message. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation, if you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven, and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. All and every and all things and all things on earth or things in heaven, it's broad, but then it keeps coming back to him, the Son, Jesus. And so then, I'm going to focus on when Paul makes a switch, and he begins to say, okay, now where do we fit in? I think in order to really grasp and be changed in the way that the Colossian church was being changed by the gospel, I think this passage shows us three things. Three things we need. We need a concrete awareness, we need a concrete solution, and we need concrete rewiring. I think that's what Paul's getting at here. First of all, concrete awareness. When you look at Verses 21 and 22. Once you were alienated from God, and then verse 22, but now he has reconciled you. This is a moment in Scripture where Paul is saying, uh, you are here. And you know those maps that you might see at a trailhead head in, a, in some mountainous region that you're going to go hiking and you don't know the trails, and it maybe has a map posted at the, at the entrance, and it says, little red dot, you are here. That's what Paul's saying. Well, he's saying it in a way as to also help us know where we've been or what the kind of two options are in this journey that is related to Jesus. So you once were, did you catch the word? Alienated. But now, through Christ, you are and can be reconciled. Something about all of us here that we might put in today's language is just saying all of us have a fundamental disconnect found deep inside of our lives and our soul and our hearts. You have a disconnect. And quite frankly, we're not very in tune often with the, um, the concrete expressions as they come to the surface of our disconnect. Your, your deep spiritual disconnect that Paul is referring to here, it might come up. It might show itself. The expressions of it might be sexual, it might show itself uh, as something financial, it might show itself in, in your social life, 
in who you do or do not uh, associate with. It might show itself in your schedule. It might show, your, show itself in your use of time. There are all kinds of practical ways every day that your deep disconnect shows itself, and we're unfortunately not very in tune with them often enough. Um, it's like we have these, in our life, we have these road flares that keep presenting themselves, or the red flags. You know a road flare on the road when you're driving? You're not used to seeing a really bright flashing light on the pavement. That's weird. That's unusual, and it makes you stop and go, okay, what's going on? And it says, there's danger ahead. That's basically the kind of the message. Watch out. Get ready. Be careful. Um, a red flag. You know what the origin of that phrase, or that, that um, figure of speech, red flag, comes from? It comes from, uh, it was a military term used to say, now we're going into battle. Raise the red flag. We're going into battle. That's where that phrase came from. And you in your life, you have these things that are like a, a road flare saying, um, or it, actually it should be saying to you, watch out, be careful, you're going into an, a dangerous area. Or get ready, if you're going here, get ready for battle. And, and it just kind of gets lost on us most of the time. <clears throat> so we need a concrete awareness of this disconnect. The opportunities are all around us. I think, in fact, you'll, most likely you'll have something before the summer is over. You'll have some thing or issue or area of your life that will start creating problems for you or those you love or those around you. Um, and it's actually a, a marker, a red flag, a road flare of that if you trace it back, if you follow it, if you're aware, you'll find that it comes from a disconnect, a deep spiritual disconnect with God. Um, what we often do with our spiritual disconnects, to, you know, it's no surprise, we tend to try to mark, we, we sense them, and we do things, we may not even know that we're reacting to our disconnect, our deeper spiritual disconnect, but we, we marshal energy to deal with them, or to compensate, or to self-medicate in a sense, so that we don't feel the disconnect, we don't feel alienated. Um, but it doesn't really help, and usually our efforts make us just feel worse. This, uh, this summer, I think it was the early summer or in the spring, my dad uh, was, there was a little health scare just briefly, and then we found out what it was. He had what they call walking pneumonia, which you don't detect right away, and so it can be kind of mysterious, but it turns out you have pneumonia. Um, for a while, he was just kind of sick, normal sickness and fevers and off and on, and um, so he was just doing the normal things any of us would do is the over-the-counter stuff, just the kind of things, you know, you get some sleep, you try to recover. And eventually, um, he went into the doctor, and he got the right diagnosis. And then it was very clear, you know, this is a dangerous thing. And self-medicating, it won't deal with it. But with the right prescription, very, very easily taken care of. It's fine. He, you know, he got better very quickly. But it wasn't going to be self-medicating. That's going on spiritually in our life, sort of the self-treatment of our disconnect. And so we need not just an awareness. Once we start getting under the surface, once we start getting in tune a little bit with the red flags and the road flares in our life, 
then we need to move on to the concrete solution, which this passage points directly to in verse 22. But now he has reconciled you. I mean, how do you deal with that disconnect deep down? There's a very concrete thing that happened, a real event. He has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight. Christ's physical body through death. The couple of verses earlier, it was said this way, that God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in Jesus, and he reconciled all things to himself by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. It's a very concrete, real event that connects with your disconnect. I don't know if you remember the story of the rich young ruler. It's a story in the Gospels. Um, and this rich young man comes to Jesus and he asks what he should do to you know, enter the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus says, well, you know the commandments. And he's excited at that reply because he says, I've been doing those since I was a child. I've been obedient. And Jesus says, one thing you lack, go sell all that you have, give the money to the poor, and then come and follow me. That was, in a sense, Jesus, the great physician, giving the diagnosis and the prescription. Well, he skipped right to the prescription. But he went right to this man's self-medication process, finances, something this man had, was very naive about in the sense of its spiritually loaded nature in his life. And so what he did, in a sense, when Jesus offers a solution, cut right to this financial issue and then come and follow me, um, he refused and he walked away sad. And that's interesting, that when the solution presents itself, that you might even have re such resistance in your life with respect to your deeper issues of alienation that you might pretty readily turn away from the solution as it's offered. Now, I started by saying verse 22 shows us the solution. So a question might come up, what does that rich young ruler have to do with verse 22, Jesus making peace through the cross, through his physical body, through death? Well, if that rich young ruler would have done what Jesus prescribed and then followed Jesus, where he would have followed him was to the end of his life on the cross. He would have seen Jesus through his physical body reconciling all things to himself. He would have been a part of that, and instead, he backed away and walked away. What fascinates me about that, that story and how it relates to God's reconciliation to us is that Jesus didn't uh, kind of banter about on the issue. He didn't waste time. He went right to an issue that was going to get at this man being reconciled to God. He didn't beat around the bush because God has this sort of reconciliation tenacity we learn in verses 15 through 20. Um, this kind of tenacity comes out in a story I want to share. It's from, uh, it's from uh, a book by Desmond Tutu describing some of the things that went on in South Africa's Truth and Reconciliation Commi Commission. So it's, uh, in one chapter of the book, Tutu recounts testimony after testimony of people, both black and white, who came before the commission to confess to torturing and murdering others. 
It was horrific, terrible stories in graphic detail. It's almost impossible to believe that human beings are capable of such evil. And so it makes this one particular story especially moving. Two people came before the commission <clears throat> uh, named Mrs. Collada and her daughter. Mrs. Collada's husband had been an advocate for black South Africans in rural communities. Because of his work, he'd been arrested, detained, and tortured by the police numerous times. But one day he disappeared. On the front page of the newspaper, Mrs. Collada saw a photograph of her husband's car on fire. She cried so loudly during the hearing, describing the autopsy's report about his torture, that the commission had to be adjourned. When they reconvened, Mrs. Collada's daughter testified. Years had gone by, and she was now a young lady. She pleaded with the commission to discover who had killed her father, but she was not crying out because she wanted vengeance or justice. In instead, she said to the commission, we want to forgive and we don't know whom to forgive. Eventually, members of the police confessed to the crime, and rather than continue this endless cycle of hatred, Mrs. Collada and her daughter forgave the men who tortured and killed their husband and father. Now, why do I share that story? That, that story, not only were those two people Christians, so they were reflecting God, but I think that story reminds us and gives us a perfect picture of God's tenacity to reconcile all things to himself. His tenacity to remove any and every barrier that you might have to being completely reconciled, completely unalienated. So that, as the passage says, no stain, no blemish, no accusation can linger or hold you down or stick to you. I think that this, that story tells us about that. I think verse 22 tells us about that. And so the question is, has it, has it connected concretely with your life? Has that event, because it was a real event in real time, Christ's death, has it connected with those issues of, and those red flags and road flares in your life that show themselves has it worked itself down into your alienation? Have you seen um, that God sends his son, Jesus, who takes on the alienation to end your alienation? That he goes to the place of death, as our passage tells us, and in doing that, he, is, he experiences ultimate alienation. Yours only hints at it and only puts a fear in your mind that you might experience some of this. Jesus went there willingly. And so what happened was not only was he alienated uh, from power structures, from the religious authorities, but then as the, as the Holy Week progressed, he was alienated not, not only from them, but also from his friends. They left him. You remember Peter, perhaps, the denial story. Peter's verbally putting distance between him and Jesus. He's disconnecting himself. He's alienating himself from Jesus. And then, of course, that's not even the worst of it. Jesus' best friends and followers. Because on the cross, Jesus cries out to the Father and gets no response. 
so that we see on the cross this cosmic alienation between the Father and the Son. Why did he walk into that? Why did he do that? Why did he go there? You have to see that he went there for you so that you wouldn't go there ever. And you don't have to worry that you're going to. But you still say, well, how do I... Okay, I know that conceptually, how do I connect? And I can't answer that for you because in a sense only God himself in your life can connect you to that reconciliation event. But remember the rich young ruler. Is there something spiritually loaded in your life, some issue? Maybe it's money, maybe it's sex, maybe it's something else that stands in a sense as a barrier. That There's a possibility that in your life, the, your road to experiencing the cross of reconciliation uh, is blocked. And until there's something there that's moved, you won't have that full experience that Paul's referring to of just knowing this is where I am now. I am reconciled. No blemish sticks, no accusation remains. I'm there every day of my life from here on out. You have that confidence? It doesn't come in one shot, but there is a concrete wiring, third, a concrete wiring that we need. And you see in verse 23, it's interesting because it, it's, Paul speaks so boldly in verses 21 and 22 about you were there and you now are there, and then he says, if. <laughs> and in a sense, we're all afraid. It, you walk into a church that people are going to say, if. <laughs> you know, if something. I'm not going to tell you what if. I'm going you know, to scare you with it someday. I'm going to jump out and say, if. Well, this is an if, and it's if you continue in your faith. So there's this kind of ongoing working the reconciliation of God, the reconnection, the rewiring. There's a continual rewiring that happens to get God's reconciliation into every corner of alienation in your life. So, for example, I think a lot of us are obsessed with self-presentation. A lot of what we do, a lot of the energy we expend to deal with our deeper disconnect is just to, in some area of our life, or maybe in all of our life, to present ourselves. In a sense, we, we just want people to see us a certain way. Well, if you're a Christian, you look at verse 22 and what it says that through what Christ did through his death and his physical body, he did that to present you. Present you holy in God's sight without blemish and free from accusation. Well, that's kind of interesting. Do you believe that's true? Has that gotten worked down into your life? You know, in a lot of ways, no. I don't. That's why I'm so addicted to presenting myself this way over here and this way over here and this way over here. And so, really, being a Christian means asking good questions. You know, why are you so addicted still to what people think of you if this is true? If you are presented wholly in the sight of the living God who made you, God of the universe, why are you so obsessed with, with what people think about you? You start asking these questions. Um, where are these messages coming from, in a sense? Where are these messages in my mind? Well, maybe I know where they come from. Why do they have such staying power? 
Maybe you resonate in this passage with the word accusation, free from accusation. Maybe you've got a running list of accusations that you play out in your life and in your relationships. You begin to ask questions as a start to the rewiring of the gospel. And not only do you say, where do those messages come from? But you say, what does the gospel of reconciliation have to say in reply to those voices, in reply to those messages? And you stumble on all kinds of things. Like what I just read. Christ presents you wholly in his sight. It's a rewiring that in a sense you're, you're pushing every day, every week. You're pushing the reconciliation and the reconnection deeper into all aspects of your life. And the alternative, if you, if you aren't going about that work, the alternative is just to keep recycling all those old accusations and spinning on the same old treadmill of regret and of self-loathing. Put it another way, in a sense, you're not really practicing the Christian faith until you're getting some practice working this message of Jesus into rewiring specific things in your life. Specific, concrete rewiring. The story that I'm about to uh, share comes from an old book called The Way of the Pilgrim, and there's this army officer who's describing his alcoholism and how he found uh, basically no solution to overcome it, and it was totally destroying his life. He says, All my efforts at self-control were of no avail, and I could not stay sober for any length of time. One day I was sitting in the barracks deep in thought, and a monk came in to beg alms for the church. Those who had money gave what they could. When he approached me, he asked, Why are you so downcast? We started talking, and I told him the cause of my grief. The monk sympathized with my situation and said, My brother was once in a similar position, and I will tell you how he was cured. His spiritual father gave him a copy of the Gospels and strongly urged him to read a chapter whenever he wanted a drink. If the desire for a drink did not leave him after he read one chapter, he was encouraged to read another, and if necessary, still another. My brother followed his advice, and after some time he lost all desire for alcoholic beverages. It is now 15 years since he has touched a drop of alcohol. Why don't you do the same, and you will discover how beneficial the reading of the gospel can be. I have a copy at home and will gladly bring it to you. Notice he didn't say you will be cured. <laughs> he didn't promise that, actually. He just said you'll discover how beneficial the gospels can be. So he goes on to say, I wasn't very open to this idea, and so I objected. How can your gospels help me when neither my efforts at self-control nor medical aid could keep me sober? I spoke this way because I never read the gospels. Give it a chance, continued the monk reassuringly, and you will find it very helpful. The next day he brought me this copy of the gospels. I opened it, browsed through it, and said, I will not take it, for I cannot understand it. The monk did not give up, but continued to encourage me and explain that God's special power to pres is present in the gospel through his words. He went on, at the beginning, he, uh, be concerned only with reading it diligently. Understanding will come later. I do not recall what I gave the monk when I took the copy of the gospels from him. But I placed the book in my trunk with my other belongings and forgot about it. Sometime later, a strong desire to have a drink took hold of me, and I opened the trunk to get some money to run to the tavern. What, but what I saw the copy of the Gospels be, before I got to the money, and I remembered clearly what the monk had told me. 
I opened the book and I read the first chapter of Matthew without understanding anything. Again, I remember the monk's words. At the beginning, be concerned only with reading it diligently. Understanding will come later. So I read another chapter and found it a bit more comprehensible. Shortly after, I began reading the third chapter. The curfew bell rang, and it was no longer possible for me to leave the barracks. <laughs> the power of the Bible. <laughs> um, in the morning, my first thought was to get a drink, but then I decided to read another chapter to see what would happen. I read it, and it did not go. Um, I read it and did not go. Again, I wanted a drink, but I started reading and I felt better. This gave me courage, and with every temptation for a drink, I began reading a chapter from the Gospels. The more I read, the easier it became, and when I finally finished reading all four Gospels, the compulsion for drink had disappeared completely. I was repelled by the very thought of it. It is now 20 years since I stopped drinking alcoholic beverages. Okay, so that's... A very old story. And what am I trying to say with this story? That, you know, one size fits all and this is how you deal with a substance abuse issue? No, I'm not saying that. But I don't dismiss it either. I don't dismiss the story. Because in verses 15 through 20 of Colossians 1, we're basically told that the mission of Jesus is to reconcile all things to himself. That's his mission statement. That's what he's all about. And this story fits right along with the fact that if you open yourself up to this Jesus, if you open yourself up to reading the Gospels about him, if any way you put your life a little bit close to him, he's going to start, most likely, he's going to start doing what he does. He's going to start pulling you back, reconnecting you, rewiring you, and unalienating you so that you can confidently, assuredly walk in this world knowing that you are God's child. Let us pray. You are the God of grace. Our Lord, we need so much help for this uh, all to become concrete in our life, for us to really believe and really walk. Um, so whether we have great doubts and great questions about all of this or whether we um, have a sort of uh, faith that we uh, ascribe to, but yet we have deep questions about how to live it out, would you, would you connect us to yourself? Would you rewire the broken hearts in this room, pulling us back to you? And would you even use in a little bit the, the very real expressions of Christ's body in the Lord's Supper as a way to touch our alienation and to make us understand and deeply grasp how you have reconciled us to yourself through him? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.